Welcome to Sports with a Cuppa. I'm Jonathan. Cheers. Ah, good old Pete's. All right. So for this episode, I want to backtrack real quick a few weeks back because I didn't touch on it when it happened. The, the, De, the DeJounte Murray drama. I didn't record anything on it then because I didn't want to have too quick of a reaction to it. A lot of people were quick to react and somewhat overreact. And I just wanted it to play out, have all the information, see it from all sides, and come at it logically. You know, I, I base a lot of what I say on logic. And in general in this situation, nobody's right. Everybody's in the wrong. First problem, DJ wears his emotions on his sleeve. And even in, during his first tenure, you saw him, you know, get emotional on social media. So Spurs fans are aware of that. Second problem is that, just like with every other fan base in any other sport, we've got some idiots that are willing to go after players on social media. And unfortunately, DJ doesn't have anyone next to him to say, hey, you don't have to respond to that. Not everything garners a response. So... People said some things. He responded. They all look bad. I'm not going to get into what he said because I really don't care. You know, it's one of those things where it just doesn't really matter. In honesty, it, it really doesn't. But obviously, DJ, you know, he's young. He's still real young. Then he's got some maturing to do. Fans need to grow up as well. So nobody's right, nobody's wrong. Everybody just needs to let it go. But the one thing that did stand out and bothered me was, I think it was a Spurs beat reporter trying to kind of defend DJ and talk about how it's not surprising what he said given his level of frustration. I'm paraphrasing here. His level of frustration with the way the team, the team's direction and the way the team was building around him. Here's why I have a problem with that statement. The Spurs were never building around DJ. It may have kind of looked like it, but at the same time, they were always in just best player asset gathering mode. Once DeMar left. Because at the end of the day, DeJounte is not a franchise player. He's not a superstar. And I'm going to tell you right now, he's a fringe all-star. Now everyone's going to be saying... Dude, how do you say he's a fringe all-star? He was literally an all-star last year. Okay, he he did play in the all-star game last year as an injury replacement. He didn't get voted in, and he wasn't selected. He was an injury replacement. And it took Draymond Green's endorsement. So, now, I'll say this. Did I think he deserved to be an all-star? Yes, he had a great year. There's no denying that. But he was still just an injury replacement. And But to make this statement, like he's out here acting like he's a superstar franchise player is just ridiculous. He, he's not a franchise player. He just happened to be the best player on this franchise. 
you know, it was a circumstance thing. It wasn't something that was by design. You know, we took him in 2016, so we still had Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard was supposed to be the franchise. He was the franchise. So, but I mean, kudos to DeJounte for developing into who he has become. Obviously, that took a lot of hard work and a lot of talent. But, don't act like a superstar because you're not one. That's gonna, That leads into another topic that I'm going to have in a future episode. But at the end of the day, did we lose our best player? Yes, we did. Did we get a great package for him? Yes, we did. It was a win-win for everybody. DJ is where he wants to be. We got a great haul for him. It's a win-win. Get over it. If he, I wish him nothing but success. I don't care about anything he does or says. I'm not rooting against him. I'm probably not rooting for him. But I'm not rooting against him. Do I have as much love for him right now as I have for like Lonnie in LA? Probably not, but still. Lonnie was my favorite player. So, that's where I think that was with DJ... And then, you know, maybe he is starting to show true colors, you know, because we have what happened, you know, a day ago with Paolo Bancaro. You know, who knows? But at this point, he's not wearing silver and black, so I don't care. But let's talk about another team that wears black, and that's Brooklyn. Their saga is still going. We're in August. Training camp is around the corner. And they still have problems. Now, granted, they seem to have come to a, an understanding with Kyrie, which is nice. But they just met with Durant. And Durant gave him an ultimatum. It's either me or Sean Marks and Steve Nash. And that's, that's a really interesting discussion. You know, you're talking about a player that when he's on, he's top five maybe top three in the league versus Sean Marks who I have an affinity for because he's a Spurs guy came up through us has played here coached here whatever and then you know Steve Nash one of the all-time best point guards who didn't enjoy watching him play in his career so what is more important, sticking with Durant, who's under contract for four years, or sticking with the guy that's been trying, been doing everything he can to build a good team, and the coach that you just hired? That's, I mean, maybe it's tough. Maybe it's not tough. Maybe it is. Maybe, I mean, if it does sound like they're just going to go ahead and continue to do, trade Durant. Which is probably a good thing because if you side with the player in this situation, it could set a bad precedent. Who knows? But, I mean, if you've seen, and obviously Brooklyn has seen what the Spurs got for DJ, what Utah got for Gobert, they know they can get a great haul of players and picks. So why not just do it? Why have this contentiousness 
hanging over you, even if you did clear out your front office and coaching staff, it's still just going to be kind of awkward. So then it comes down to who do you trade him to? Now we know Boston, Miami, and Toronto still have interest. And reportedly New Orleans does. So let's look at it. First, New Orleans, I think, should just bow out. One, you've got Zion Williams, who's now under a new contract, coming back. And just the squad you have gave Phoenix the business in the first round. Why why screw that? Why screw with that? Because you understand what it's going to take to get Durant. You can't just send them Brandon Ingram, a bench player, and some picks. It's going to take more than that. So why kind of blow it up for Durant when you have a squad that, quite frankly, is capable of maybe making that jump like Memphis did last season, which I called, by the way. Memphis made it into the playoffs, 8 seed, and gave the number one seed, I think it was Utah, right? Gave Utah the business, and then look at what they did this year. New Orleans could do that. So I say don't screw with that. Now, Miami, to me, Miami doesn't have the package. And Boston does. Boston, Toronto, both do. uh, Let's say Toronto. Toronto has a good package. I just wonder if they feel... Because the way both these teams have to look at it is this. We're going to give up a lot to get Durant. So we're probably not going to be able to compete the first year. We need to be set up to where we can compete the following year. Because if you get Durant and you're not competing for the first year or two, guess what Durant's going to do? Take a wild guess at what Kevin Durant's going to do after two losing seasons. Yeah. He's going to demand another trade. So you've got to be prepared to create a winner within the first two years. Is it possible? Yeah. I think Toronto, it'd be harder because they don't have the players and depth that Boston does. But they do have Majiri who can piece things together. The question is, can he can he take that risk? Because you have something good going right now. Not as good as maybe New Orleans, but still, do you tear all that apart for four years of Durant? And with the potential of him demanding out again if you're not able to get to a certain point. Conference finals, NBA finals, what have you. So you could be out, and think about this. In a couple of years, Durant's not going to have the value he has now. He's going to be 35 halfway through his contract. Nobody's going to want him. At some point, his value is going to drop exponentially. So you're going to give up your some good players and a bunch of picks, and then you're going to risk him wanting out again. So you have to be very careful if you're Toronto. Now, Boston, you're talking about teaming him up with Jason Tatum, and we've already seen the rumored packages. 
Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Derek White, and a host of picks. That's that's near no-brainer. It really is. I like Jalen Brown, but I mean Durant is better. And you still able to hang on to pieces like Al Horford, Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon. You just got Gallinari as well. Like you still have a good squad. And you've got Brad Stevens running the show who learned under Danny Ainge, who knows how to fill in the gaps. So I think at the end of the day, within the next couple months, Boston's going to get Kevin Durant. I think they're the best equipped to do it and still remain one of the top teams. But But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, no pun intended, but let's switch gears. Uh, we are in the middle of the summer break for Formula One. Uh, it's been a great first half of the season for Max Verstappen. <laughs> Not so great for Ferrari. Even though it's kind of a return to glory for Ferrari, um, yeah, they've really dropped the ball a lot. And it's it's actually pretty embarrassing. Uh, wrong strategy calls. Granted, in uh, in France, that was Leclerc's fault. He was pushing too hard and uh, ended up in the wall. But just some really questionable strategy calls, and honestly, some no-brainer stuff. I mean, in Hungary, the hard tires. It was a no brainer that you don't go to the hard tires yeah i mean if you're not familiar with formula one you should get familiar because it's awesome but just really poor strategy calls for ferrari they've got the drivers they've got the power (laughs) they just need to not get in their own way because max is cruising to the championship right now it's pretty sad and mercedes is starting to come back into the fold which is nice because i'm a big lewis hamilton fan if his DRS hadn't screwed up in the last qualifying in Hungary, he probably could have had a chance at winning. But right now we're going it's supposed to be a summer break where nobody's working, nobody's testing anything. But it's kind of the season of the driver shuffle. You've got Sebastian Vettel announcing his retirement a couple weeks ago. Fernando Alonso's gonna leave Alpine and go to Ashton Martin next year. Then Alpine came out and said, oh, well, we've got Oscar coming in. A young driver named Oscar. I can't remember his last name. I can never remember how to pronounce his last name. We're just going to call him Oscar. Then Oscar comes out and says, well, no, I haven't agreed to anything. I'm not driving for y'all next year. Which has led some to believe that he's got a handshake deal with another team. Now we think it's McLaren because McLaren reportedly is looking to dump Ricardo next year. And reportedly, Ricardo's asking for $21 million to end his contract. Because he is under contract next year. So if that all happens, where is Ricardo going to go? Some think maybe back to Alpine. I don't think he goes back to a team that he's already been with. Because before they were Alpine, they were Renault. He was with Renault a couple years ago. I personally would love to see Daniel Ricardo with Haas. Because I just want to see him and 
and Gunther Steiner interact. I think it'd be the best thing. They could have their own show on Netflix. I think it'd be amazing. But, yeah, we're in a downtime right now. No races for another few weeks. Sucks. But I am looking forward to some of the upcoming ones because this, you know, I started watching the races full-time thing around Monaco last year. I haven't missed a race this year. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of these live, like Japan and Singapore. Those are going to be really cool. They're actually going to put the Singapore Grand Prix track in Call of Duty, which almost has me wanting to play Call of Duty again. But, nah, I don't know. I'm iffy with Call of Duty. So we've got that coming up. Preseason NFL is kind of our story. We had the Hall of Fame game. Didn't really catch much of that. Honestly, don't really care much about preseason football. Uh, but, I mean, a couple of notes on some teams I like. You know, they're talking about Zeke Elliott's not going to play in the preseason, which is fair. You want to keep your starting running back healthy. But I'm going to throw this out there. Now, it's not all up to his his fault, but... If the offensive line for the Cowboys is improved and Zeke still doesn't have a good year, this is his last year as a Cowboy. Um, His cap hit is just ridiculous. That money could be going to improving the offensive line and continuing to improve the defense. Uh, But if he's consistently outplayed by his backup and the offensive line is performing well then you got to move on from him i don't care if he's best friends with Dak. I, I don't care you're not winning and you're not performing but at the end of the day it really does come down to the offensive line so we'll see if that's improved another situation is the quarterback situation in tennessee i like Tannehill. i'm not rooting against Tannehill. And the cards are kind of stacked against him without A.J. Brown. So I'm curious how far into the season he makes it if they're not winning. Because Malik Willis is coming. He's had some good moments in practice. Granted, it's just practice. I know we're talking about practice. But at some point, if you're not winning, fans are going to start calling for it. And it's hard to deny him. So we'll see where that ends up. But in baseball, we just got past the trade deadline. My Strohs filled in some needs. Getting Will Smith for the bullpen. Grabbing Trey Mancini from Baltimore because of Uli's struggles. Shoring up the backup catcher with Christian Vasquez. So some nice additions. Nothing groundbreaking. Not not the Juan Soto pickup that the Padres pulled off, which I'm really grateful for because I did not want to end up with the Dodgers. I can't stand the Dodgers. And speaking of the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. had a couple of rehab starts here with the Missions, which was cool. Uh, I mean, didn't play well, but I mean, he's coming off of wrist injuries. I've broken my wrists. Takes a minute to trust him. And then baseball... It's got to take a while to get your timing right. But if he comes back in his, his old self with Juan Soto and I believe they still have Manny Machado up there in third. 
Uh, San Diego definitely has a chance to come out of the National League now. So that's cool. Because, again, don't care for the Dodgers. But I think that will wrap this episode up. Make sure to follow the Twitter. If I can remember what the Twitter handle is, I believe it's Sports with a Couple Official Podcast. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye.